This is 100% Success with Buck Billings and Danny Odom, Episode 1. I'm Buck Billings. I'm Danny Odom. So today we're going to talk about why we're doing this podcast, it's Episode 1. So we're going to tell you what our motivation is behind this. Um, we're going to talk about uh, what is the formula for success, at least as I see it. Uh, we're going to talk about deposits and withdrawals and how those contribute to your success and what I learned today. So before we dive into why we're doing it, we figure we should give you all some background information on why you should be listening to us in the first place. So uh, Coach, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself. So I'm Buck Billings. I am a rugby coach. I've coached uh, multiple sports, um, basketball, baseball, football, uh, and now uh, rugby. I coached football for, I guess, about eight years and um, I've been coaching rugby now for 11 years. I coach at Lander University. Uh, we are one of the few varsity rugby programs in the country, and, uh, and Danny uh, is one of my players. And so uh, I believe it was back in August, maybe, uh, Danny was interviewing me for the school newspaper, and I thought, golly, he is so good at this. Because I've, I've been interviewed at a time or two, and Danny did a really good job. And um, so I thought, if I ever do a podcast, I want somebody like Danny uh, to be on this with me. And so um, so that was part of the motivation. That's why I asked Danny to be here. Um, secondly, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I learn a lot from them. And I thought, if I want to be able to hear uh people that, that have a lot to, to that I can learn from, this would be the best way to get to talk to them. You know, I listen to a podcast, and that's very one-dimensional. Uh, the podcaster and whoever they're interviewing gives me knowledge, and I'm limited to what they give me. But if I have my own podcast, then I can really pick the brain of the person uh, and learn a lot. And also, I'm kind of forgetful. And so when Danny and I do a podcast episode... I will have it forever uh, where I can remember what I said and uh, remember something that maybe I learned and uh, shared in the podcast. Um, and also, uh, Danny, um, he's a college student, and I thought in today's world, this could be something very marketable for him. Danny, why did you say you would do this? <clears throat> well, I guess first off, the reason or just a little bit about me. I'm 19 years old. I'm a, based on hours, I'm a junior political science major at Lander University. Uh, I feel like I have a pretty good background in sports just because I've been playing since I was five. I played baseball up until my senior year of high school, and I played for some really great coaches. I played for Pete Hardy. Uh, he's in the North Carolina High School Baseball Coach Hall of Fame. And uh, I decided to make the switch in college to, uh, to rugby, and that's how I ended up playing for, for Coach Buck. And I guess, you know, when Coach brought to me the idea of a podcast, it was something I couldn't say no to, because I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of the Joe Rogan podcast, and uh, I feel like in a generation like mine, where a lot of people, they get a lot of their information off of Twitter and social media, I just feel like it, it, it's a good thing to, to listen to podcasts, things like that, and uh, I just thought, why not do my own with my coach? <clears throat> so, we'll just get right into it. Uh, so throughout your years of coaching, your years as an athlete, uh, you've obviously been very successful, state championships, played a, a lot of college football. So what is your formula for success? Uh, so I guess it was about five years ago, I believe uh, four years ago or five years ago, I was riding back um, from the high school national championship for girls uh, high school rugby. and. It was the first time we'd ever played at Nationals, and we finished eighth. And um, I was thinking about what makes success. And, and so I, I like to come up with simple ways to remember things. Um, I've been a high school teacher. That's important for people to learn. It's also important for me, being simple-minded, to remember things. And so I believe that there are three components that must be present for success. It's uh, hard work, 
it's talent, it's opportunity. And at the intersection of all three of those, so if you think of it like a Venn diagram, and you got a circle for hard work, you have a circle for talent, and you have a circle for um, opportunity, where they all three overlap, that's where you find success. Um, and I, I think if you if you take one away, you you don't have success. Um, so let's say you know you you work hard, but you don't have talent, um, and you have opportunity. I think it's like the person uh, at the first week of American Idol that is a horrible singer, and everybody you know Simon's like brutally honest with him and says you're never gonna make it as a singer and, and and you go to voice lessons and and you do all of that and you've you've had an opportunity heck you made it to the you know the tv show american idol and but you just don't have talent you're not going to be successful as a singer um but you worked hard and you've had an opportunity if you have uh hard work ethic and tremendous talent but you live on an island and nobody ever sees you then you don't become successful. You never had an opportunity. You've worked hard, you, you've got all kinds of talent, and you live on an island, nobody ever sees you. Um, if you have a tremendous talent, uh, an opportunity, say you grow up in a very wealthy home and you go to a prep school and, and you get every opportunity and you, you your mom and dad are, are highly talented, you are very talented, but you have no work ethic. You're that rich trust fund kid that lives in your mom and dad's pool house and you never become successful. You, the three are necessary. Sometimes it takes more of one than another. You know, some people have to work a little harder because they don't have quite as much talent. Um, or some people need a lot of opportunity, you know, or, or some people just are amazingly talented and they don't work quite as hard you know I had t guys on my college football team um, that were good college football players because they were just so stinking talented and they didn't make it to the league but they were successful you know but they just didn't quite work hard enough um, or you know guys that uh, just crazy talented and um, hard workers and they make it to the NFL from a D3 college football team you know, they didn't quite have as much opportunity because they were so talented and such a hard worker. You know, Jerry Rice played, you know, small college football. And Terrell Owens, you know, he played at UT Chattanooga. They didn't have maybe as much opportunity as a, as a kid at Alabama or, you know, today at Clemson. But they had so much talent and drive that they were able to do it with that small amount of opportunity. Um, no, is this something, even before you re you really put the words to it, opportunity, uh, talent, hard work, is it something that while you were playing, you sort of understood it, you realized you had to have all three, or was it just something yeah. that you learned? You know, one of the things, like, so I, I, I did not grow up wealthy, and I was re really good at uh, football, and so I was able to go to a prep school. Um, in Nashville and one of the things that I just between the th different things that my dad said I learned that I had a special opportunity and I needed to make the most of it and my dad used to always tell me um, he said you don't care what you do son as long as you uh, work hard and be the best you can at whatever you do he said if you're a ditch digger you'd be the best ditch digger ever if you play in the NFL you'd be the best you know, football player you can be. And so I learned early on, though, to make the most of my opportunities. Um, and I had to work really hard to, to be the best I could be at something. And then I also did see where, you know, at a lot of sports camps, there were kids who were just not very talented. You know, and as a coach, I'll see sometimes kids that really want to be a good football player or a good rugby player they're not very talented. Usually, though, if they work hard and I give them the opportunities, like I, I, I teach them the right way to do things and I teach them good good instruction on skills and strategy and, and tactics and whatnot, 
then they become a decent player. But the ones who really become successful, they've maximized all three. And But, yeah, I learned that growing up. Because um, I was not the most talented. But I did get a lot of opportunity because the people I was around were, were very successful. Um, I, and I did work real hard. Um, but I was not as talented. It took a lot of work. What do you say those are the types of people that you have coached the most, the ones that they have a, a mediocre level of talent, good work ethic, good opportunities, or would you say it's a pretty even spread? Um, I like to coach those those people. I would rather coach the humble athlete that works really, really hard, um, has some talent, but, boy, wants to take advantage of every opportunity. You know, like a, an opportunist as an athlete, usually gives you a lot as a coach. You know, when you put them in the game, they make the most of it. And they're they're excited about being on the team, you know, and, and they, they don't – they stay uh, fired up, you know, because they're making the most of it. And, uh, and, 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 too, like, you know, as a college coach, I'm giving somebody the opportunity to be a college athlete. I'm also – helping give them the opportunity to be a college student. And if the kid's going to make the most of both of those things, that's exciting for me. Mm -hmm. Um, makes my job easier and, uh, more fun. Yeah. So when you said that type of player that you're describing that you, you were, would you almost say that's, that's almost the chip on their shoulder type player? Yeah. So they're pretty, a little bit. Um, cause that, that opportunist is this person. It's like, you know, they're motivated. They're driven, yeah. and um, and I think I, I I had a little bit of that, you know, because I was the poor kid at a rich school. Um, I was never uh, jealous or envious of the success my my friends and their families had. Um, I don't know why. I just wasn't, you know. I've I've never really been a a very jealous type person, uh, my temperament, but definitely I wanted to win. You know, and I wanted to start, and I want. So whenever it was like a game winner, that would that would typically be my best kick. Um, you know, because I was a kicker, and so that was probably the thing that did set me apart from other kickers coming out of high schools. I was five of six on game winning field goals. Um, the one I did miss was from fifty four yards, um, but I really thrived on that. I was nervous. But I was excited to have that opportunity, and um, and I was fortunate to make the most of them. And uh, and when I would be at a kicking camp, I could usually beat the better, more talented players just because I was just determined, you know, that I was I was going to beat them and uh, make the most of the opportunity. So I got a lot of awards at the kicking camps, and I knew though. Other guys could kick the ball further, most of the time straighter. But when it was a competition, they were going to get my best best effort, my best day. Yeah. I know something that we talk about a lot within our program is mental toughness and building that through, through a lot of our workouts. You said that those moments where they were probably the most pressure-filled, kicking in competitions, things like that, that you were always at your best – do you think you were at your best in those situations because of the mental toughness that you built through the hard work? Yes. Yeah, my, my dad was a Marine and um, fought in World War II. And mental tough, like, you know, my dad was not a well-educated person in the sense of school education. He was highly well-educated in life. And so one of the things he would always say is, like, you know, like, you got to be ready for anything. Mm -hmm. And so if it was a really, really cold day, even if I had kicked every day that week and the week before, if it was a really, really cold day, he was like, you got to go out and kick, son. Because you might get in a game where it's really cold like this and you need to have had this. Mm -hmm. And it could be like a really rainy, horrible day. And he'd say the same thing. You know, son, you got to get out there. And, and I can remember... There was not a Christmas from the ninth grade till I got out of college 
that I could open my Christmas presents until I had practiced. And there were some white Christmases in Nashville, and I could not open my presents until I got out and kicked the football. And I can remember on vacations going in the morning down in Florida to find a flat piece of land to practice kicking. And, you know, and, and, and that was frustrating because I would want to do something else, but it was my dad was like, you got to do this. And you got to do it when you don't feel like it. Mm -hmm. He was like, that's what makes it more meaningful is if you don't feel like doing it. He's like, you just do it when it's easy, and you really don't get the mental game out of it. Mm -hmm. He's like, you get the repetitions and you, you get the practice, but you don't get the mental toughness out of it. He said, sometimes it's just about doing it when you don't feel like it that really makes you tough. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that was a big thing for my dad. You know, it was he was he was not a overbearing dad, but he wanted me mentally tough. And that was, you know, he, he would test me. He would yell at me sometimes and try to rattle me and uh, just – try to really make it difficult and sometimes I would be like dad I just want you to be my dad and he'd be like son I'm, I'm just trying to make you tougher you know but because I knew when you know I knew how much he loved me and everything but <clears throat> mental toughness was a big thing oh yeah and I'm learning that now as an adult an older adult you know in my 40s my life has been very easy and I'm trying to do hard things just so I don't get soft mentally yeah. Yeah. You said just the relationship between a father that sort of help, helps build mental toughness. I can remember, so I played, I played baseball growing up, and I remember my dad had a little bit different way of, of sort of just putting pressure on me and helping me to be prepared for those situations where you really can't afford to mess up, make mistakes. When we would throw in the front yard, I'd say I was probably seven or eight when he started doing this, but he would catch me like he was a catcher. And I remember one day, I was out there working on it because we threw probably every day, and it wasn't really – he didn't push me. It was just I wanted to be out there because I loved the game. And he started – He started uh, every time – if I'd make a bad pitch or I'd throw a ball away, that was it for the rest of the day. If I made a bad pitch, we're done throwing for that day. Yeah. And that's that was sort of how he put pressure on me. I knew if I wanted to keep practicing, I've got to make sure every rep counts. And I think that helped a lot with, with the way I grew in the game <clears throat> up until – up until uh, even when I outgrew being able to throw with him because I started throwing too hard, he just couldn't handle it. I would still remember, okay, you know, I would draw back to those situations where I'd been there before. I was like, I've got to make this pitch where it has to be, otherwise I'm not gonna, you know, there's not gonna be another opportunity to that day. Yeah, and that, that helped me out a lot. But I don't know what what do you think about that? I forever, and I don't know if it was my dad somewhere in my mind, I had this compulsion that I had to end on a, a make, and. And sometimes, uh, you know, I learned this, and I think it was Greg Davis. He was a kicker for the, the Atlanta Falcons and the, the Cardinals. Um, and, and I think one time he and I were kicking somewhere, and he, he told me, uh, you, you got to be willing to, to end on a bad one. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why? You know, I was like, why? You, you want to end on a good one? And he was like, I don't get to end a game on a good one, or I don't get to end a half on a good one, and I've got to bounce back. And he said, also, if you, you miss one and then you miss another one, now you're picking up bad habits. Mm -hmm. And he's like, so you just need to end on whatever number you're going to end on and deal with it. Yep. I think that's that's great advice because when you, when you end on a bad one, you don't get that sense of accomplishment at the end of it. And it sort of sits on your brain until that next time you get to practice to where you're almost more motivated come that yeah. next opportunity to make it count. And it's good to maybe wait till the next day and be like, you know, yesterday I ended poorly. I yep. really got to have a good day today. Yep. And keep that focus and stay sharp. Yep. So within a team aspect, we talked about that staying sharp and staying motivated even when things are going your way. Within a team where you have all kinds of different different personalities, different tendencies, how do you keep morale high like that to where you want to be back at it even after failure? How do you keep morale like that, morale high, when things are just, just not going good and it's been repetitively going downhill? 
This is a tough one because um, this is one that, you know, it's it's a, definitely um, it is a a challenge for for many of us coaches. You know, is we we want to rebound um, and be resilient after a mess up or after a defeat, and we don't want to you know let those things define us. Um, and one of the things that we're trying I'm trying to do this semester and is set. Uh, standards based on core values and you know it was, I believe it was Bill Walsh wrote a book and I can't I cannot remember the title of it but it was one of the themes in the book was is that how if you do things the right way the score will sort of take care of itself and so sometimes I really think if we focus on standards instead of just the immediate outcome, then we don't get as flustered. You know, because if you don't get the outcome you want, there's a lot of factors in play. Like, you know, that other team could have shown up and played tremendously inspired because, you know, something unique that you have no control over. Or they just had their, their A game. It was a game where they just played in the flow, the whole game, the whole team. And, you know, that's hard to beat. But... But also, you know, you you got to bounce back, and and then also, you too, so you know, you, you focus on those standards um, that are within your control. Um, also, try to keep it fresh. You know, sometimes shock things. You know, and be like, okay, today we're gonna we're gonna play ultimate rugby, which doesn't look anything like real rugby, but it's fun. Mm-hmm. And it does focus on things that do apply to real rugby. Uh, you know, last week uh, with the girls, uh, I, it was the end of midterms and that we were going to test for fitness. And I was like, let's go play basketball. A bunch of girls that are rugby players, most of them have never played organized basketball. It was it was a loose interpretation of basketball. There's a lot of fouling, a lot of double dribbling, traveling, and missed shots. But they were having fun, and it took them all out of their element. And then a couple that had played basketball before, it gave them a moment to feel like, hey, I'm, I'm better than some of my teammates mm-hmm. at this. So it gave them a feeling of success. And the ones that weren't real good at it were like, this is not my thing, so it's okay to not be good at this. Yeah. And so it was just kind of like a reset. You know, it was like uh, when you go buy cologne, it, sometimes they'll let you smell like coffee beans to sort of reset your sense of smell. Mm-hmm. You know, you smell a cologne and you're like, oh, okay. And you smell another cologne, and then they all sort of smell the same and you can't tell the difference. You smell some coffee and they're all, oh, okay. Now my nose is back to normal. You know, so sometimes when you have a bad game and then you have maybe another bad game, now you're like, it's starting to be normal. Let's do something a little different. Let's, let's hit the reset. Yep. And so, but this is still something I'm trying to work out because morale is different when the stakes get higher. Very true. Very you know, true. um, having some teammates that made it to the league, you know, we would meet uh, when they would be in Nashville playing the Titans or maybe I would go visit them and watch them play somewhere. And we would, you know, we'd talk about what it was like being an NFL football player and they'd be like, it's a nine to five, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they enjoyed it, but it was definitely when the stakes are higher, you know, it can definitely affect morale. And mm-hmm. so, you know, moving from a high school athlete to a college athlete, I remember thinking this is very much like a job. Mm-hmm. And when I thought back to high school, I thought it was just so much fun. But now when I think back to being a college athlete, I think about how much fun that was. And, you know, but but I'm living at higher stakes now as a husband and as a father the stakes of failure are not being able to provide for my wife and, and two sons. Mm-hmm. 
And so that definitely affects my morale sometimes, you know, if I feel like I'm not succeeding. But that's how I felt as a college athlete when I felt like I wasn't succeeding as well. Mm-hmm. But now that the stakes are higher, I look back and I'm like, oh, man, that was a, those were some of the best years, you know, of, of sport. It was just fun. Playing in front of big crowds, playing on TV, and you know, and getting up and grinding with my teammates, and just sucking wind because we're being pushed and challenged, and maybe mad at our coach. You know, it just seems like this is an awesome experience. But in the moment, at times it's stressful, and my morale was low. Yeah. And going back to what you talked about, the women's team playing basketball just to switch things up. I think that's one of the biggest things that you can do for a team that's going through something rough is just switching things up and giving them a moment to bond, rebond, and have fun. Because being uh, being on a part of a team from the athlete aspect, <clears throat> when you go through you know, a couple losses, a couple hard losses that you really weren't expecting, it really does a lot to fray the glue that holds a team together because you have certain people who say this this went wrong. This is why we didn't do well. This is, you know, the the blame game starts a little bit, and it can really, if there's not something to re-energize the team, almost immediately following that loss, it can really start to hurt the team. And I think that's that's it's huge to just keep those people, <clears throat> keep them together as a unit, and not let them almost become self-destructive. I think that's that's huge. Yeah, I mean, when when things don't go to plan, like, you know, then you start doubting the plan. You can, that's one way you can focus. You can doubt the plan. Um, You can doubt uh, the philosophy, you know, behind that plan. You can doubt your teammates, you know, like, so when things don't go the way you hope or expect, you start. You just start trying to figure out what went wrong, mm-hmm. and you just kind of grab at straws. Yep. And you know, like one of the things that is unique about in rugby um, is there's so many different philosophies on how to do things. And so uh, the the New Zealand All Blacks. Um, one of the things that um, they, they kind of have a reputation of they don't overthink their opponent. They really just focus on, like, their way of rugby. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's their attack pattern, whether that's their defensive strategy, they really just focus on perfecting it. Mm-hmm. And it, it is very adaptive. So, you know, if a player, a, an opponent gives them something, they can adapt to it but they don't overthink their opponents, but they really, really do think about the philosophy behind their what they're doing. And um, I've heard, I don't know this to be true, but I've heard that they don't really, they don't overly scout their opponents, but they, they just focus so heavily on perfecting their skills and their utilization of those skills. Yeah. You, you talked about... Uh immediately after a loss you start picking at things trying to figure out what went wrong and I think I think trusting the process is huge in keeping that from happening and uh, I feel like something that can really be be beneficial in helping you trust your process or what you talk about a lot the deposits and the withdrawals and uh, I think uh, Nick Bear he's one one of uh, he's a YouTube personality he's got his own podcast he does a lot of fitness training he talks about how how uh, action is the ultimate ultimate end all for fear and uh, I think if, you, if you're as an athlete sometimes you fear the outcome of certain things but then you think about that for a little while and you realize okay the only way for me to address this is to practice harder and to make those deposits and uh, I just want you to get into the deposits and withdrawals and yeah um, and before we go to the deposits and withdrawals one of the things too is like Dan Payne, who um, used to be the coach at Life University and became their athletics director and then became um, 
I guess like the the, the he was over USA Rugby for a while. Um, one of the things that he would talk about was that confidence has a lot to do with your doubting your ability with a skill. And so he's like, you know, somebody who's not confident in the tackle just hasn't worked the skill of tackling enough. You know, and I think of, um, and you might remember this, so we we went to um, that day where we went hiking back in June, you know, at the or July, right at the end of camp. You know, we went on an outing, so we went hiking, and then we went to that camp where they had the high dive and the, the big blob thing. And so there were a couple of guys who were really nervous. I was one of them. When I got on top of the high dive and I looked down, I was like, holy cow, that blob is, is further than I thought. And so I was nervous, but then I jumped down onto the blob and I didn't even, you know, I did it. And so then I did it again. And by the time I'd done it two or three times, I was not nervous at all. Um, I can remember, you know, when I would go snowboarding a lot out west and I would hit these big jumps. And the first time, you know, I'd speed check and I would be kind of hesitant. And then I would do it with more speed. And then I would go just all out and try to jump as high and far as I possibly could. And those repetitions made it less scary. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that was basically what Dan Payne was getting at when he would say that. It's like, you know, if you do that skill enough, then when the pressure gets there, it's not as intimidating. And and that is important, um, you know, especially in a, a violent sport like rugby mm-hmm. where you got some guys who are naturally uh, just very, um, very aggressive and the physicality is something that comes easy to them. Um, and then you got some that the tactics and the p- attack patterns and things like that come very easy, but the aggression doesn't. And so those are people sometimes that have to really practice the, the tackling or the rucking to get more confidence in those more aggressive parts of the game. And then you got to practice the, you know, tactics with some kids that are highly aggressive. You know, they get in a 2v1 and they get nervous about what to do with the ball. Mm-hmm. But they're totally confident in contact. And you got the guy who in a 2v1 can make great plays but is hesitant in contact. So, I mean, you know, you, you work those different skills and repetition and that confidence develops with it. And then that confidence in terms success in that specific instance or situation. Um, but about the deposits – oh, go ahead. Just real quick. I feel like we can use the tackle in rugby as a metaphor for a lot of things in life. So we t- you talked about how every time you do it without a negative outcome, it adds to your confidence. Yeah. What would your advice be to a rugby player or just a, a person in general who has tried something and got burnt? You know, you go into a tackle, your head's in the wrong position, you're concussed. What would your advice be to them to overcome that? You know, they, they took the step out of their comfort zone, they got burned stepping out of that. Yeah. What would your advice be to them for situations like that? Well, you, you want to start where you can definitely succeed. And so, like, I always use a lot of pads, you know, like tackling the cylinders, tackle rings, because I want you to succeed. And also I try to match people up with temperament, you know. And so, like, because if you just get burnt all the time, you internalize that you're a failure. Mm-hmm. And so then when you get in a situation where you need to succeed, it's even harder. Now, granted, if you if you don't challenge yourself and push yourself with difficulty, then you get in a situation that's challenging and you're not equipped, you know, you're not ready for it. Um, I think it's called, it's proximal... Oh, shucks. There's a term um, in psychology in uh, proximal. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, proximal. Is it pro- proximal difference? No. 
That's something different. Zone of proximal difficulty. And um, and that's where you, you have to be properly challenged for growth to occur. Mm-hmm. If something's too easy, then you, you don't grow. You basically get atrophy. And then if um, something is too difficult, you don't get atrophy, but you get destruction. Like you break down. And so from too much stress. And so the zone of proximal uh, difficulty or zone of proximal development. Um, so I, t- I try to always, though, put my players where they'll be successful in practice. I want them challenged, but I would rather them feel success than defeat. You know, it's, that's important. Um, and so, yeah, going back to the person who's been kind of burnt, you know, or bruised because they bit off maybe too much, back it up a little bit, you know, and um, and kind of start on the easy side versus the hard side. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it it seems soft, especially when you think of a violent sport like rugby, but I would rather somebody go into the game thinking they're a warrior and be a little bit not really a warrior than to go into the game as a warrior would think they're kind of weak. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would rather them be a little bit overconfident versus a little bit insecure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that that's it. Yeah, but you said it sounds soft, but it's 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 very important because I know I started playing rugby last year. I remember my first game. One of the uh, one of the forwards from Charleston. He was probably probably six two. He's probably he was at least two thirty. It was my first ever rugby match, and I just see him. It was an open field tackle because I was sweeping, and I was like, well, what do I do here? You just put your head down, you take the knock, and uh, that happened I don't know how many times the uh, last 15 season. But after a while, it starts to it starts to take a take a toll on you, <clears throat> especially at the end of the season. I broke my leg, and uh, I, I will be honest, I did not feel confident through our entire 15 season the last time with tackling abilities. It, I didn't feel right until – Last weekend or seventh tournament, that was the yeah. first time I had felt good playing rugby in a long time. Yeah, so it was. Well, you it was had nice. a good tournament, yeah. and and it, it's weird because it's, yeah, like if you, we don't like to do things poorly, and we don't like to do things, and we're good at remembering what hurt us. If we didn't, we would we would die. Mm-hmm. You know, like we we would just always hurt ourselves to the point of death. So we remember what did not work and what caused pain, and then we we guard ourselves against that happening again. Mm-hmm. You know, relationships you get your heart broke, and then it takes a long time before you trust another person in that same way. But physically, we do the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's the get off the you get you fall off the horse. It's really hard to get back on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. so let's go. Ahead. Let's get into that deposits and withdrawals. Yeah. So I think it was. Sometime, I don't know, I was working out somewhere and and this concept of deposits and withdrawals popped into my head. And so I thought about, I was like, oh, I, knew, I think it was like every Christmas something would go wrong at our old house in East Tennessee. Something, whether, like, so one year the, the heater goes out. And not only does it go out, but it's like leaking carbon monoxide into the house and so every every time I stay home with my son, I get a headache and I feel nauseous. And he's getting this upper respiratory infection. And then I would go some to the grocery store or something. I'd come home feeling better, and then I would get to feeling crappy again. Well, finally, the heat just cuts off. But before it did, though, it was leaking carbon monoxide into the house. Yeah. And so Jasper winds up in the hospital, and... I'm feeling way better once I'm in the hospital with him for a few days, but we had to spend like several hundred dollars to get the heat fixed, which we'd not really saved up for. Mm-hmm. And then another Christmas, our washer and dryer, our washing machine goes out. Two Christmases, I'm, I'm washing clothes in the football locker room at school because our washer goes out. And every time, you know, we were not financially ready for that. And so it just dawned on me, I was like, you know, like, if you don't make deposits, when the crap hits the fan, you have nothing to withdraw from. 
And then I, I started thinking about how that applied to success. If you have not made the deposits, when you have the opportunity to get what you've been working towards, you can't. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've been in a situation or two before where, or multiple times where maybe I put too much weight on the bar and I I cannot get the weight up, you know. It's it's more than I can bench press, it's more than I can back squat, more than I can clean. And it's because I've not done the work maybe prior to that to get strong enough for it. Mm-hmm. And and I've been in a situation where you're playing a team and you can't you just can't beat them on that day. Mm-hmm. And you know, or like an opportunity comes up. I can remember, you know, like somebody said, Hey, do you want to go on this trip, this vacation or something? And my wife says, Hey, let's let's go on this trip and I'm like, Well, we don't have the money. Mm-hmm. You know, or we've got to pay off bills from where we were bad with our money. And so I just kept thinking about how that is just how success is. That when you have an opportunity, if you've not made the deposits, you can't cash in and pay the price. So everything has a price on it. You know, greatness comes at a price. Sometimes that price is more than what you want. You know, like maybe... One of the reasons why you're not the CEO of your company is because you want to spend more time with your family. There's nothing wrong with that. Or you're young and single and you don't have a family, and so you pour yourself into your work so that you can get the success that when you do have a family, you can have the big home. Mm -hmm. You pay off your student loans faster, (coughs) you know, or, you know, when your kid gets out of high school and wants to go to college, you've made the deposit so that when they get into, you know, Harvard, you got the money to pay tuition, you know, and and so or you know like the sports metaphor, you get to the championship game and you've made the deposits, and now you have the game of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the game winners I made were not just because in that moment I came through. It was because I didn't open my Christmas presents until I'd gone out and kicked. Mm-hmm. I didn't go out on the lake with my friends until I had gotten my practice in for that day. Or when I'm on vacation, I didn't mentally get into vacation mode for that day until I'd gone and found me a place to practice. Mm-hmm. I had made those deposits, and so when that opportunity for me to be successful came... I was ready mm-hmm. and you know and I don't know um, you tell me like do you think this year you know because we won our conference championship it was the first time that had happened here in, in a long time mm-hmm. and do you think maybe there were more deposits paid this year you know because of our elevation to varsity status we're going to mm-hmm. put in more time do you th- how do you think that played out? There were certainly more deposits. Been on the team from last year to this year, it was just it was a completely different atmosphere. And not only were there more deposits, there were less withdrawals. You you look at the the lifestyle habits of the, the team from last year to this year. It's it's just a world of difference. That's something I wanted to ask you. How do you really? And this is for other coaches, other college coaches out there, to help them sort of figure out how to do it. How do you really break it down to your players? This is when you make your deposits. This is when you make your withdrawals. This is not the withdrawal you should be making. Things yeah, like that. Yeah, because like if so, if you uh, if you were to say go out partying one night and on a Friday night, that partying is going to take a withdrawal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to come at a cost. And then maybe Saturday, you try to play and you, you want to make that withdrawal, but it's not there. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you gave up some of what you put in on that Friday night to go party. Um, and so it's just like that. With, you study all whatnot, and then you get to your midterm, and you decide to do something stupid, and you go in and take your midterm, but you don't have it. You know, you your, your mind's in a million different places because you're hungover or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean... I'm just trying to constantly, I'm very repetitive because I feel like 
if I repeat myself enough, I will be hurt enough. And it's just like that practice and that tackle skill. If you do it enough, it becomes natural. It feels natural. That if you hear something enough, it'll start clicking. At least that's the way it worked for me with my dad. Because my dad would repeat a lot of things that he found to be very important over and over. Um, And I was taught that in school to become a teacher is if something's really important, if you're going to put it on the test, you need to remind your students of that over and over. If it's on the final, if it's on the EOC, you remind them of that over and over. That way they'll remember it and be able to recall it when they need to. Um, One of the things we've been working on here lately in our fitness is, so if you're doing a a running event, some type of sprint of some sort, and the closer you get to the finish line, the more you want to quit. Mm-hmm. And if you start letting up before you cross the finish line, you're yes, you're getting the physical gain of this exercise, but mentally you're making a slight withdrawal by letting up before you get to the finish line. You're taking some of that you just put in the bank to run 95 meters or yards out of a 100-meter, 100-yard sprint, all of the deposit you put in, you start taking some out in the last five meters. Mm -hmm. Or you can run five meters past the finish line and put a a quarter in the bank. You know, like you can put a bigger deposit out of that one sprint, and physically it costs you the same. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like that's one way where, you know, you get an opportunity to make a bigger deposit. And, you know, so just reminding people that every day, you know, you're making deposits and withdrawals. Hopefully you're just making deposits. But every day you have the potential to maximize that opportunity or not and make a withdrawal. I mean, we we make withdrawals and deposits in relationships. If I do something nice for somebody... I'm making a deposit in that relationship. If I show up five minutes late, which I am guilty of, I'm then making a slight withdrawal. Mm-hmm. You know, and people become wealthy because they make more deposits and they they do more with the opportunities they have than they make withdrawals. Mm-hmm. You know, like they 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 maximize they they get that maximal gain. And, and sometimes it's just really simple. It's just a matter of those withdrawals and deposits. Mm-hmm. And, in, and to me, that, that simplifies the process, and it gives me a great visual that I can relate to. Mm-hmm. When I go through the salad bar, I'm making a deposit in my health. When I get a cheeseburger, I'm making a withdrawal in my health. Mm-hmm. Or like tomorrow morning at 4.30, when it's time to get up to go to F3, I can make a, with, a withdrawal and just just go back to sleep. Or I can make a deposit and get my butt out of bed and meet my F3 buddies at 5 o'clock in the morning and put some work in. And um, so, yeah, I, and it's just a constant reminder, you know, putting it in front of me so I don't forget it. Mm-hmm. So we've got a little bit of time left here. We'll go ahead and move to our last thing, and that is your your special little topic, and that's what you learned today. Yeah, so, you know, there's these things called wilt journals, what I learned today journals. And so I've been trying to focus on daily or every few days little nuggets of wisdom that I pick up from someplace or just some kind of idea that pops in my head. And I jot it down. I, I don't have it written out very well, but I have it in my notes section on my phone. Um, and so back right before New Year's, um, I got to thinking about how you know impulsive people are and how when they do things impulsively, it kind of screws them. And, uh, um, and one of the things that I, I, I realized is that fools are guided by how they feel now, the wise are guided by how they'll feel when they've reached their destination. And basically, um, what that is, is that 
you know, like if you just go with your impulse right now, that's what the average person does. You know, it was Tony Dungy wrote a book many years ago called Uncommon and how, you know, people um, that are successful do uncommon things because common meaning average and the average person is not highly successful. And so, um, yeah, so the, the fool's guide about how they feel now, the wiser guide about how they'll feel when they've reached their destination. Um, they think about the long term. You know, they think about their end goal. And that's maybe for their financial success or like, you know, you could be all impulsive and, you know, try to hook up with as many different people and party and all this while you're in college. But then when you get out of college and you want to have a, a happy family and you want to be able to provide for, you know, your, your, your wife and your children, but you didn't make the most of this educational experience, you know, you didn't make the most of, you know, cherishing your relationships. And so now you got a lot of baggage and, you know, or, you know, you're a dad and, you know, you're frustrated and so you want to go blow some steam at a bar and then you get a DUI, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, or you're a husband and you're upset with something and, and then you just let your, your mind wander on the internet and then you developed a porn addiction or something. I mean, like, you know, the, the fool is just guided by how they feel in the moment, but the wise is really guided by how they want to feel when they've achieved their, their goal or they've reached that destination, that end game. Um, you know, so me, I, I spent a lot of money in college on stupid stuff, and now, you know, I'm still paying off debt. And, you know, so if, if I had focused more on making good financial decisions, and the excitement of being able to have that dream home, that would definitely make life different now. Mm-hmm. Um, but fortunately, I did focus on learning and getting the most out of being a college football player and um, being good in my relationships and not partying and stuff like that. So it's kept me level-headed and you know helped me be a more successful co- college rugby coach. Um, and maybe a better, you know, better role model or leader. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely, so I, I look at the times where I was foolish and guided by my impulses versus my long-term level-headedness, and I, I've seen how that's played out. Mm-hmm. And so the so last thing, I'll, I'll repeat it, fools are guided by how they feel now, the wise are guided by how they'll feel when they've reached their destination. Mm-hmm. Um so this has been our, our first episode, Dan. Uh, Danny, do you have anything you want to? Uh, just that discipline is timeless, and it doesn't matter how old you are, discipline will help you out no matter what you're doing. That's all I've got to say. All right. Well, this has been our first episode. Uh, thank you so much, and uh, look forward to episode two in the very near future. Have a good one.